Good evening, church. That's it. That's all you got, that little bit there. Good evening, church. That's a little bit better. I guess I need to pay more money to you. Anyway, it's my turn again. It's my turn again. And with everything that was going on and everything happening today, I, you know, it kind of put a little bit of more, little bit more butterflies in my stomach. But I don't have really that many butterflies because I kind of look forward to coming up here. I kind of like doing this. But anyway, with that being said, I, you know, I, I really think the primary task or mission for a Christian is to do God's will. I, re- I really believe that's what it is. I, 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 I. And when I say that like that, for me, I need you to understand that for me. So when you say why he do or say the things that he say. See, you, you hear a lot of people that babble. You hear some people speak. And you, you can actually tell that there is no genuine heartfelt response when you talk to them. There, It's almost like le- reading a three by five card. So when I talk to you tonight, I got my family sitting back there on the third row. They lined up. I made sure none of them had any rotten tomatoes to throw up here. So uh, when I get evaluated, it'll only be verbal or in the mind. With that being said, again, I like to start by saying thank God for allowing me this day, this opportunity. When you get to the point that you realize that you're not going to be here forever, you start appreciating everything God do for you. Thank you for this. And thank you for an opportunity to come here and speak to you. I want to thank the leadership. I want to thank the leadership. I'm not a multiple-minded person. If I thought for one millisecond that this thing wasn't right, I'd been out of here. I'd have took my family out of here because I know how real God is. So thank you for good leadership, guys. I really appreciate that. My church family, I especially want to thank you. And that, that's everybody collectively. And the reason why I do it that way is because sometimes I may not get to you personally. But I still love you and look forward to being here. When I go down home, I tell my wife I can't hardly wait to get back. And every now and then, Jim, Frankie, Glenn and all of them, they surprise me and they have the kids home from college. I still call them kids because I'm getting ready to be 60. I can say that. I'm glad to have them here. And I just want you to know this whole thing is important to me. It's real for me. With that, my scripture reading will be coming from Matthews 18, 21, and 22. Matthews 18, 21, and 22. I'll read. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord... How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. First, I know you already know, I know you already know that God or Jesus is telling him right up, there is no numerical definition of how many times you're supposed to forgive somebody. That's that's the point he's trying to get to. But, but my message for you tonight is going to be on forgiveness, both sides, asking forgiveness and granting forgiveness. Now, I'm certain everybody in here, we all have at some point or another been in the position of forgiveness, either asking or granting. 
If you haven't, you probably need to go ahead and pay your undertaker and put you in the dirt. You're dead. Because everybody here at some time should have apologized or been in a position because simply by being humans, we are flawed that way. Everybody understand that? You, 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 you are going to do something at some point, sometime in your life to offend somebody. Now, with that, to get you where I need you to be for this lesson, I've got to, or I'm going to tell you a scenario. This scenario is a little mental exercise. I want you to listen good. Give me that. I guarantee I spark your interest. Before I get started, here's your scenario. You're a parent. You have one child. You've raised that child. You've done a good job with that child. Loving child. And as all parents do, you say your child is different. He's special. In this particular case, your child happened to be. He's a very loving child or she. Do everything you say. Get good grades. Always trying to help. To the point that sometimes it scares you. That's, that's, that's a good child. And the child has that attitude that everybody likes, that mentality, that personality, and they develop an idea or notion that they can help anybody and everybody. So that child picks their friend. And you see the child hanging with the friends, and you look at the friend, and the friend is quite, is not quite as mature as your child is in helping people. They become good friends. And they meet other kids at school. And you notice that your child while staying rock solid, straight up, doing the right thing, smart, good, loving, obedient, his crowd is just a little bit rowdy. They act up. Some of them are known to be troublemakers. They live in this neighborhood. They stay in the neighborhood. They go to school together. As the child gets older, becoming a young teenager or a teenager, the child hangs out more with them, but haven't changed. Still following your guidance, doing what you're told. The crowd he's with or she's with starts to become impatient with your child because she or he is not changing to be like them. You want to warn the child. But you don't say anything because your child has a good personality. And your child believes that they can make a difference and save this other child. I like that look. Everybody's staring. They're waiting on the next one. I like that look. Eventually, your child and the gang member have a run-in. It's a gang. It's a gang. And the gang decides to take your child through their little initiation process. This loving, warm child that you let continue because they got this good attitude, doing everything, grew up together, got years behind them. They beat your child unmercifully. Break bones, close up eyes, bring him as close to death as he can get. In fact, when you get the phone call to rush down to the hospital, you can't recognize your child. 
the machine, the heart monitor, everything is going and you're standing in the room. Tore up. Can't hardly speak. The doctor's standing there and trying to comfort you and telling you it's minute by minute, hour by hour, we don't know. You're standing, you're standing there thinking about all the time that you've seen this and you didn't do anything. Thinking about how you continue to let them go. You're thinking about how wrong this is. And while you're standing there, you say out loud, not wittingly, but you say, Somebody's going to pay for this. That's my child. This was wrong. Your child, who's not in a coma, patched up, barely hanging on to life, cracks one eye open and try to speak. You in tears. The doctor rushes over, you stand there, and you lean toward the child to see what the child says. The child says, please, mom, dad, forgive her. My question for you in your little exercise, will you? Now, you don't have to answer that. With that, I'm going to go ahead on with my lesson. I want to stick with that. We'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. I just need to make sure I need to get you in a place to understand what this lesson is. And according to, again, I like to say my professors when they taught this, is that for me to get you to understand a point real well, I need to make you or put you in a position that you can relate. Everybody can understand that. Everybody can understand that. All right. Forgiveness. We all should and will experience some form of forgiveness or need to forgive as we come up. In fact, forgiveness is a required component of salvation. Huh? Yeah. God says, Jesus said, you got to forgive your friend, your worker, your neighbor, your enemy, every one of them, as I have forgiven you. You got to do that. Huh? He says it means or it means so much to you until in fact it was taught when he taught his followers in his prayer. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. He taught it to them. Because Again, it is a required component. And, and in our mind, our human, human aspect, we think there are some things we just don't jump right into forgiveness on. But wait. In the Bible, the NIV version, forgiveness appears 14 times. One time in the Old Testament, 13 times in the New and the concept of forgiveness is much more than that. So based upon that, based upon that, you would think the one thing that is required for me to become friends or work with 
just like love your neighbor. Yeah. In fact, it puts you in an impossible situation if you can't. How can you love your neighbor if you can't forgive him? How? Forgiveness. The reason why I want you to, to, to understand that because as we open up with the lesson, forgiveness sounds so simple. We Everybody's got it. Everybody figured it out. I know what I mean. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Really? Did you meet the requirement? We're going to find out. We all have our idea of what, what forgiveness is. But let's talk about what the theologians say about forgiveness. That's the big guys that study the Bible. Don't necessarily have to believe it, but that's exactly what they're going to talk to you about. Theologians. Forgiveness is the act of pardon an offender. In the Bible, the Greek word translated forgiveness literally means to let go as when a person does not demand payment for a debt, which is a den, uh, uh, goes back to, as Jesus said, forgive our debt. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Everybody understand that? It's like pay the bill. You're free. Clear. Got the card note? Don't worry about it no more. It's like, just like a debt. When you forgive him, you can't hold nothing over his head. You can't come back to him three, five weeks later and say, well, you know, whatever. We forgive others when we let go of resentment and give up on any claim to be compensated for the hurt, loss that they have caused. What is he talking about? Regardless of how bad it was, whatever they've done, if you say you forgive them, anything other than let the whole thing go, you lie. But we knew that. Right? We knew that. So if we know that, we knew that was going on. Let's talk about what the Bible says. It says in the Bible, again, forgive us our debts as we forgive those of our debtors. That is referenced in Matthews 6 and 12 and in Luke 11 and 4. If we remember about forgiveness, for, uh, 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 forgiveness, the Bible teaches us that unselfish love is the basis of true forgiveness. Unselfish love is the basis of true forgiveness since love does not keep account of injury. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5 say love is not puffed up. You're not in it. It tells you this. You say, why is he talking about all that? The genuine forgiveness. Did you really forgive him? We're going to find out. We're going to see Well, you say you forgive somebody, not to me. You don't have to answer. But listen to some of the terms that you get when asking for forgiveness. Sorry. I always say I'm sorry when somebody said I need to apologize. These are some of the terms that you hear. Listen to this now. These are, these are people, that, this is the forgiveness. This is how this thing works. The person asks forgiveness. Sorry, I told them I didn't mean it. This is... What our kids, this is what we do. Sorry, I could have done it a different way. Now, after hearing everything we hear about forgiveness, do that sound like they forgive me? 
or do that sound like somebody asking for forgiveness. On the other side of granting forgiveness, here's what you hear. Yeah, I, I mean, they say, well, they say, it's all right, but they meant to do it. It's all right. They were smiling when they said it. It's all right. They did the same thing to somebody else I know. Now, these are the responses between asking and giving forgiveness that you commonly hear. But we say we forgive, right? And after listening to it uh, or reading about this and standing up in the Bible, making sure that I didn't fall into one of those basic comments or one of those basic categories where you just say, sorry about it, I didn't mean to do it. No compassion, no love, nothing into that forgiveness. I did some research. You know me. I'm going to do some research. Greg Lowry, listen to this statistical toll. Greg Lowry recently did a study on forgiveness and found that 75% of the people believe that God forgave them. 75%. That's good enough. 75% of people believe in God. That's what you think. That's what you think right on the surface. Of the 75%, 52% say they did not forgive others. forgave. That's one statistical told. Listen to this other one. 400 people were put together to receive a class on forgiveness. 400 people put together to receive a class on forgiveness. Out of the 400 people, they all was loud and talking and having fun and everybody got along with everything until one question was asked. The question that was asked, listen to this one, and this is one that startled me more than anything. The question was asked, in your family, at the first cousin level or higher, how many of you were not on speaking terms? Oh, why would somebody be talking about something like that? But you know what? That's real. The class went deathly quiet, and 62% raised their hands. Do we need to know about forgiveness? I think so. I think we got a problem. Now, I myself, after reading this, you say, well, how can that be? Because forgiveness is not something that you actually see. This is something in your heart. You, you, you know, this is something you should be able to do. We should be able to. To do this, we are Christians. We, yeah, I forgive you, but you don't speak to them no more. I forgive you, but you treat them different. I forgive you, but you're not in my clique. I forgive you, but you can't borrow my coat no more. I, and, and here's one I like. It is easier to, listen, th th this is good. I hear this a lot, especially now. It is easier to ask for forgiveness than it is permission. Huh? It is easier 
here to ask. That, that man is telling you, whoever that is, I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do. <laughs> and he knows that forgiveness, or could you forgive me, has no genuine intent whatsoever. That's our society. How do we fix that? Let's bring it back home to us here in the church. Forgiveness. One of the things that create problems with asking and giving forgiveness is that I believe I need to look at myself first before I commit, do, or say the offense. Would that bother me? Number two is I know there's no way anybody can look into somebody else's heart and know what hurt them and what did. I believe that there's no way that I can love you, and I talked about this earlier, if I don't forgive you. And the primary thing here, listen to this. When it comes to forgiveness, Jesus, on the cross, says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. They killing him. They killing him. He gonna die. He didn't ask. He didn't say, well, I might forgive him. Not only had he shown forgiveness for them, but he's asking his father. Don't you hold nothing against them? They don't know what they're doing. And he says, in his word, forgive your neighbor as I forgive you. My question, my thing, my point with this whole sermon tonight, is it any room in improvement for us when we open our soul up and ask for forgiveness or try not to offend anybody? Is there any room in us to be more like Jesus? Is there any room in our salvation that we can improve our forgiveness? With that, I'm going to close tonight. If anybody have a need to, for the church to talk to them, see them, want to join the church, we ask that you come now as we stand and sing.